episode 31, Uncomfortable Socks. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a June 20th, 2007 podcast from the Kansas State Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Welcome to the fifth episode in our special series dedicated to objects from the museum's current exhibit, Game Faces, Kansans and Sports. The 1920s were the age of the flapper, a new breed of woman that wore short skirts, bobbed hair, and rejected conventional behavior. In Kansas, unconventional women took a different form, the basketball player. Today, assistant registrar Nikayla Zimmerman tells us about a uniform worn by an Auburn, Kansas girl who endured ridiculous rules and uncomfortable socks, all so she could play basketball. Later in the episode, we'll play another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. This time, we connect the Kansas-born newspaper editor to the American film actor, Tom Cruise. That's right, Iceman. I am dangerous. And now, Uncomfortable Socks. Hello, Nikayla. Hi, Mel. Today we're going to talk about a basketball uniform that was worn by a woman in the Topeka area, and uh, it is a wool uniform, actually. It's a wool sleeveless top that's red, um, a baggy set of wool bloomers, and uh, some leggings. And on the top it says Topeka Aces. Um, So I'll start out with a question. The uniform was worn by uh, Doris Ransdell. Am I saying that correctly? Ransdell? That's right. Um, And she wore this uniform while playing basketball for the Topeka Aces in the 1920s. Uh, Where did Ransdell learn to play basketball, and uh, who taught her? Well, Ransdell grew up on a farm near Auburn, Kansas, and she played basketball. And Auburn's just south of Topeka, right? That's right. Sort of northeast Kansas. Right. Um, she played basketball at Auburn High School, but it's possible that she actually played when she was younger because basketball was very popular with girls in Kansas from the time it was introduced in the 1890s. Actually, in Kansas, it was seen more as a women's sport, so much so that when they tried to get boys on college campuses to play the game, um, they didn't want to because they thought it was effeminate. So it's possible that she played uh, when she was younger, before she got to high school. Um, Girls often learn to play at YWCA's at school or from family members. Um, Many learn to play from their brothers who knew how to play. And, um, you know, girls always want to be competitive with their brothers, so they take their brothers on in the sport. Um, Doris had a brother, but he was younger, so I'm not sure that she would have learned from him. Mm -hmm. But um, it could have been something she picked up at school or... So they may have taught this in, like, PE class at school. Sure, it was very popular in physical education classes, yeah. Eventually, Ransdell moved to Topeka, and she started working. I mean, this is as an adult. She started working Mm -hmm. full-time, and she worked for the Atchison-Topeka-Santa Fe Railroad, which was headquartered here in Topeka. What is the connection between the Atchison-Topeka-Santa Fe Railroad, where she worked, and the Topeka Aces, which was the team she played on as as an adult? Well, Ransdell came to Topeka in 1922, probably to work as a secretary for the Atchison Topeka and the Santa Fe Railroad. Um, The connection between the company and the team was that um, several women who worked for ATSF expressed an interest in playing basketball, and they got together and formed a team, which also included some women from Southwestern Bell Telephone Company. And um, so they created this team. They all played together. There was a six-team league in Topeka that they played the other played against the other teams. Um, 
and they were actually a church-sponsored team. They were sponsored by Trinity Lutheran here in Topeka, okay. which when I was doing the newspaper research, I think they were actually listed in the paper by their church names because I kept ran, running across scores for um, – they were listed under SS League, and I'm not sure what the SS stood for, but Trinity Lutheran was one of those teams, and there were five other teams listed, so I'm assuming that that was probably them. I never saw Topeka Aces mentioned in the paper, so I don't. I don't know. And I looked to see um, they won a championship in 1928, and I didn't see any mention of them as that. But anyway, they, they weren't. They did win a championship, like they won the league. They in won 1928. the city league in 1928, and Was actually, it? they won every tournament that they played in. They were a very successful team. Church teams were not the only teams that women could play on. They also played on teams that were sponsored by businesses. Um, so it would have been possible that a team could have been sponsored by the Atchison Peak and the Santa Fe or by Southwestern Bell. I just don't think it's true in this case. Uh, were women's company-sponsored teams common in the 1920s? So the idea of company-sponsored athletics actually began in the early 1900s when labor experts felt that company teams would inspire worker loyalty and teach disciplined teamwork and competitive spirit, which, if you think about it, the Industrial Revolution had just happened, and those were qualities that people wanted in their workers. So they also hoped that by filling their employees' leisure time with work-related fun and games, they would inspire loyalty to the company, and the loyalty would make them more productive and might convince them not to join a labor union. <laughs> which I know that seems very logical. We're a basketball team. I won't join a union. <laughs> Sounds a little 1984-like. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So employers saw it as beneficial, and women wanted to play on these teams because um, women's basketball had been banned from many high schools and universities. In Kansas, basketball was um, banned on university campuses in 1910. So women were looking. Why was it banned? Well, that was because people saw it as inappropriate activity for women. Oh. Yeah, it was getting a little rough, so they banned it. Okay. And um, so women were looking for other places to play, and business business leagues were one way to do it. And in some states, it got to the point where um, companies were recruiting girls out of high school. They would hire girls who knew absolutely nothing about the job they were hired to fill. They just played basketball. <laughs> Um, some uh, did not want to see women play basketball in the early 20th century. Uh, what was the cause of such reluctance? And uh, like, what kind of rules were, were generated to sort of mitigate um, these concerns? Well, a lot of people believed that women were too frail and too nervous to play basketball. And if they got out there on the court and it was such a physical game, they would be so physically and mentally exhausted at the end of the game, it would take them days to recover. So one thing was the physicality. Um, they also believed that all of that effort might interfere with the uh, woman's ability to have children. So, well, that's logical. <laughs> yeah, you might pull something. Um, <laughs> they believed this not only physically, but because the women were spending so much time practicing and playing basketball, they were not putting their attention into getting married, having children, and then taking care of those oh, children. Yeah. yeah. Their attention was diverted. Um, and there was also this idea of the role of women versus the role of men. Women were seen at the turn of the 20th century, they were seen as professional homemakers. Their place was in the home. And um, for men, Teddy Roosevelt actually spurred this popular notion that sports could define masculinity. So if you were a man, you played sport. If you were a woman involved in sport, you were manly, and that was not proper. So there were ideas that sport just was not for women. 
And also some people felt that sport exploited women. You know, they got out there. Sometimes they were dressed in a little skimpier clothing than they might normally be. They're showing a little ankle. And and also in the business leagues we talked about before, some felt that um, the businesses were using women to make money. For the physical reasons, there were some rule changes. There wasn't much they did about uniform changes, especially as time went on. Rule Um, changes to the play of the game? To the play of the game. So that the game was basketball, but it was different from the men's game. And this included dividing the court, which the court was smaller too, but dividing the smaller court into three sections. So you'd have one section under each goal and a section across um, the center of the court. Um, This led to less running. Nobody was running up and down the court, right? Um, Right, because that's going to hurt reproduction. Yeah, you know. So each team was comprised of anywhere from five to nine members. And generally there were about six women on a team. Five to nine members. On a team playing at the same time. So the court is crammed Potentially nine members on the court. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's say you have six members on your team, right? There are two women from each team in each of the three sections, right? You're allowed... um, you can run anywhere within your section, but you can't leave your section. To get the ball up and down the court, each woman is allowed three dribbles and a pass. There's no swatting at the ball, and you can only guard in the vertical plane, so it's less physical. You're not uh, whacking at each other. Nobody's being rude and un- unfeminine. <laughs> it's very, very polite and very contained in theory. But in practice, the women's game was often as physical or more physical than the man's game. I think it was... Um, an account of one of the first women's collegiate games played on the West Coast. The reporter said that after the game, the women had to go up and pick up their handkerchiefs and hairpins off the floor. Because, Jeez. <laughs> yeah, things were got they a playing by the lame rules? They were playing by the lame rules. This uniform includes tall wool leggings and wool bloomers, which actually sounds pretty uncomfortable to some. But that's nothing compared to what uh, women were originally wearing when they first started playing basketball. How has the uniform changed, and what has caused the changes? Um, when women first started playing this, the game of basketball, and before that, too, when they, were, um, they participated in sport like tennis and croquet, things like that, they wore long dresses, long sleeves, and often slippers. And that led to a lot of bruising and sprains and broken bones. So it was really unsafe for the women to play in this type of The long dresses, because they were tripping on them and getting... And getting getting hurt, right. Um, In the 1890s, there were more activities that were deemed socially acceptable for women, and this included some sports. Um, These changes came about because in 1848, they had the first women's rights conference, and... um, they started to influence the way that people thought about uh, thought about what women could do. Um, shortly after that, Amy Bloomer encouraged women to wear pants as Wait, part of the rights room. Amy Bloomer, which the Bloomers were named after her. They were actually... Are um, kidding me? No, isn't that strange? I, I didn't ironic. know that. Yeah. Um, the Bloomers were actually um, about shin-length pants with uh, at the bottom they were they would be bound around the ankle so they had that puffy appearance and then they kind of wore a long dress like top over them so it wasn't like they were wearing pants it was just kind of a modified skirt they looked a lot like a skirt um they didn't really pick up in popular fashion, but um, in the 1890s, the women who were the first generation to come of age after the women's rights conference, um, they adopted them as uh, as their exercise attire because it preserved their decency while allowing them more freedom of activity. As skirts shortened in the post-turn-of-the-century period, 
So did the bloomers until in the 1920s when we think of flappers wearing skirts above their knees. Bloomers reached the point where they're shorts. They're what we see in this uniform. Um, and by the 1930s, it was more acceptable for women to wear pants. So bloomers were replaced with shorts. Okay, so while we're talking about leggings, I do not quite understand the function of the leggings in this uniform. Because they don't really serve as socks, because there's right. like a stirrup at the bottom of them. Right. And I thought, well, baseball players wore wore leggings, but that was because they wore long, baggy pants, and they had to they had to like gather them up at the bottom. But this is with a set of bloomers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite understanding, and the only thing I could come up with is that they were sort of a... Uh, Maybe a fashion prelude to the uh, leg warmers of the 1980s. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I never thought of them as leg warmers. But, you know, now that you mentioned it, that could be because I don't really know what purpose leg warmers served. I mean, when I go to work out, I don't think, yes, put something on my ankles to make them hotter. <laughs> you know, I don't think that. I'm not sure what purpose they serve. I don't know if it was because um, of the modesty thing. You know, it was a way to cover You think up it was actually just trying to cover some skin. Yeah, or, you know, there was... They were diving after the ball, even though the rules were changed. Maybe it was a way to protect their legs from, you know, floor burns or something like that. I have no idea. Maybe it was a a way to draw attention to their shapely calves. I have no idea why they wore leggings. All right. Well, I'll go with that then. All right. All right. Thanks, Nikayla. No problem. It's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. And here to tell us what the answer was to the last challenge is Merle Riedel. Hello. And we're joined by Laura Van Orsdell. Hello. Um, so our last challenge was connect William Allen White to Tom Cruise. Correct. And you found the solution to that? I did. Um, and keep in mind that the clue was Thief of Baghdad. So we'll start out. William Allen White mes- met Douglas Fairbanks in 1922. Uh, Douglas Fairbanks was an actor, and he starred in the film Thief of Baghdad. Now, he was one of the leading motion picture idols uh, following World War II, World War One, And along with Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, and D.W. Griffith, Fairbanks actually started United Artist Entertainment, and it's an American film studio. Well, United Artist, or UA, actually sort of went out of business. It kind of, it kind of petered out in the 1990s. In 2006, an American film actor named Tom Cruise uh, and his producer, they actually restarted uh, United Artists. So there you have the connection between William Allen White and uh, Tom Cruise. Wow. That's very good. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so Laura, you want to issue the next challenge? I'd be glad to. The next challenge is connect William Allen White to Gone with the Wind. And the clue is Southern White Knight. Tricky. And so if you have a solution to that, and uh, if you want to actually change things up and uh, maybe give us your solution, because we've never really heard one up to this point. Oh, we heard one, I guess. But uh, you can mail your email your solution to uh, podcasts at kshs.org. And that is podcasts with an S. That concludes episode 31, Uncomfortable Socks. This uniform and other objects featured on our podcast are currently on exhibit at the Kansas State Historical Society. Think you can podcast better? Well, let me hear from you. If you have comments or questions about our podcast, email them to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. Come back in two weeks when museum director Bob Keckeisen and I step into the ring to discuss boxing equipment used by Jess Willard, 
a Kansas native that first reigned as world heavyweight boxing champion and later worked in Hollywood as an actor. Bob will answer the hypothetical yet quintessential question. If Willard and Rocky box today, who would win? This podcast is a production of the Kansas State Historical Society. Oh,